And before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Nexo, the only provider offering instant crypto credit lines that don't do no credit checks whatsoever. All you have to do is make sure you have crypto assets such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, or others. Deposit them on the Nexo platform. They will use these as collateral to give you a loan from a few hundred dollars to millions of dollars. To get started, make sure you go to nexo.io. That's N-E-X-O dot I-O. Hey, what's up, guys? You listening to the Survival Skills Podcast. And today we have a special guest. And here we're going to talk about real survival, especially when it comes to your finance and economics. We're really going to get it right. If you're watching this on Hardcore Crypto, shout out to you. Make sure you share and you subscribe to the channel. So today I have Gareth here. You want to introduce yourself, Gareth? Hi there. I'm Gareth Robler. Um, I've been in the cryptocurrency space for about, about eight years now and involved with a few companies, uh, most notably in South Africa, IceCubed Exchange. And we also offer a service company with software as a service in Europe mm. called Merkleon. I think let's start with, I know you a little bit of a background, you know, because this is going to lead us into money, which is what the viewers anyway are most interested in, right? You're into cryptocurrency, you built one of the earliest exchanges in South Africa and Nigeria. Um, how did you come from the traditional, say, finance and make a jump into cryptocurrency. What, do you, what were you interested in earlier on? So I started out, uh, career really started out uh, with Investec Bank, um, doing infrastructure projects and, and building financial systems for the bank uh, in the UK, in Hong Kong, uh, and then moving the systems to South Africa. Right. I then left the bank to, to work on my own private projects uh, and initially I worked on a project for the National Health Service in the UK and we built a system for opticians to do eye tests uh, at home mm -hmm. for people and they've got this voucher system for the payments uh, as the government pays for everything. Mm. They've got this very big voucher system where there's lots of paperwork and lots of documents and during this time back around about 2011 I was looking to find a, a payment solution that could take away all the the hassle and, 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 and the different third-party players. Yes. Uh, I came across Bitcoin and at the time I thought it was a scam. Mm. Uh, I looked at it, I couldn't figure it out and I went and locked myself away for a week and tried to, tried to figure out the angle, you know, where is this I was completely forgetting about cryptocurrency and forgetting about payment systems. Yes. I was looking to find a reason for this thing. Why, why is this thing? Why is this thing here? What is this thing doing? And that sort of led me on into looking into, into money and, mm. and what money really is and, and how payment systems work and how credit systems work. Yes. And uh, yes, once, once I figured out that it wasn't a scam and that it was actually a real-world solution to, to the money problems we have in the world, I was hooked. Right. So we're going to get back into the cryptocurrency part of it. First of all, let's establish, because I think the problem that comes for a lot of people to understand cryptocurrency, it comes down to struggling to understand. When, when, when you ask people where does money come from, which is what I'm doing right now. You won't get an answer. You, you, know, you, you won't get an answer. Right. When they, you, when they start to think about it, then they realize that actually I've never thought of that before. And that is why it's difficult for a lot of people to think about Bitcoin or whatever proposition that it's bringing to the table. So how would you explain how, where does money come from? Well, 
money has changed over time it's changed mm. money started out as being uh, you know money is a social construct it's something that is between two parties it's it's a, it's an expression of your labor mm. and we use that as a medium of exchange uh, you know we want to go and have a drink somewhere if you're a farmer that farms chickens and I farm cows you can't take your chickens and I take my cows you right. know, we need something sensible that everybody will accept and there's a, a generally accepted value to it and money essentially really worked as a debt as an asset based uh, product and gold was the number one asset to back money so you know we produced money the money's got a whole long history but most recently we had money backed by gold yes. so if you had a hundred dollars that meant that there was a hundred dollars worth of gold in Fort Knox yes um, and the same with all other countries this is how we operated and then in the early 70s they realized that you know this is not working because they don't actually have enough gold to cover all the money that is in issuance. Yeah. So they then moved to debt-based money, which meant there's currently two real ways to introduce more money into the into the monetary system. So let me just hold you off there. So when money was, I mean, when we reached a consensus uh, to use gold as money, it meant that you had to mine some gold to present the value. So whatever money was in circulation, it meant that the amount of gold that has been mined and is in circulation, right? Is that what you're saying? There was real assets of value right. that, that, that could stand the test of time. Yes. So gold is valuable because it's scarce. It's not something you can easily get your hands on. It's not something that easily gets destroyed. So it's a really good store of value and everyone believed in, that. in the value that it had. Right. So it's, it's intrinsically had this value that you know, it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, the problem with gold is it's not easy to move it. Yes. And this is why we created notes and, 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 and created paper money yes. that would represent the gold in those that, vaults. That exists, that actually yes, exists. that actually exists. All right. Um, but as America, you know, they were sort of leading the way with us, mm. they started printing more and more money and didn't actually have the gold to back all the money they had printed. Right. Because the way they looked at it is, you know, nobody's going to go to the bank all at once mm. and say, I want to hand in my note and get a piece of gold for it. So it's almost like, in a, let's put it in a country's perspective, for each member of society that's born, you give them an ID to represent the person. That's right. But then you start printing more IDs without people behind it. That's right. correct. You started having people who maybe somebody passes away, then that ID is still there. Yeah. Now there's one guy using two IDs. Right, right, right. And that's how you mess up the system. Right. So, where does the where does Bitcoin fit in in that framework? So, Bitcoin was developed. You've got to go to where it comes from. When Bitcoin started out. There's this pseudo anonymous entity that nobody really knows who it is or what it is yeah. that created Bitcoin back in 2008, um, and it was as a response to the financial crisis at the time, because again you had a situation where banks were loaning money because it was easy for them to create money. So they were just lending this money out and people were buying properties and, and you know, every, everyone you know, and his hairdresser became a property magnet. Yes. And they all just had all these properties with mountains of debt that they couldn't service. Let's take it back a little bit there. I mean, we have jumped into the credit side of money. So with the current economic or financial system, 
Uh, could you just clarify on how the credit is model work? So debt-based money is, there's two ways that money is created in, in today, in, in, and the first way is governments issuing bonds. Yes. Now, I mean, that's not even really important because only roughly about 5 to 6% of money, new money being created mm. is created in that way. Right. The majority, 90% plus, is created through banks. Banks simply go and you have a de somebody make a deposit of 100 rand. Mm. The bank will go and say, okay, we've received 100 rand. We can go and lend out 1,000 rand because this person that deposited his 100 rand is not going to want his money straight away. Yes. So we can lend it out and we can charge an interest on that. Right. Now, that interest is money made out of thin air. Right. And this is why we live in a debt-based society currently. Mm. That's a very good explanation. So just coming back to you to answer your question of Bitcoin, mm. yeah. it was created by this entity, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Yes. And what his main goal was is how do I replicate all the attributes and all the properties of gold? Mm -hmm. And he did that perfectly well. He created a mechanism that had a re uh, an amount of tokens that can't be changed. It's a set amount, same like gold. There's only X amount of gold in the world. We can estimate exactly how much it is, but we know that there's only that much. There isn't, we can't magically just make it out of other products. There is only that much gold. And he digitally created or replicated gold. So there is an, uh, an aspect to this. You're a technical guy, you're a developer. So one thing that I think is probably very hard to convey to people is how much of an achievement technically Bitcoin is. It's or, phenomenal. Which adds you to its proposition. It's, Can it's you just clarify on how, from a developer point of view, how incredible this is? So, not to get into too much, but in, in computing you have this problem called the, the general, the Byzantine generals problem. Yeah. And effectively, it boils down to how do you transfer messages and guarantee that those messages are exactly what the sender decided to send in the first place. Yes. How is that message still original and has not been altered or changed or the, 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 the idea that the message is trying to convey? How has that not been altered or changed? Yeah. And this is the solution that Satoshi Nakamoto came up with, which he called Bitcoin, which is essentially the blockchain. Right. And it's a mechanism to send messages and be 100% sure that that message can be relayed by various parties but the original message that was sent is still the message that's received by any party down the line. So this has been a very difficult problem to achieve in it's, computing. In computing, it's, yeah. this is the first time that it's actually been solved. Right, right, right. And uh, how optimistic are you when it comes to Bitcoin? Were you more optimistic when you figured it out eight years ago or were you more optimistic now? I'm a lot more optimistic now. Okay. Uh, when I figured it out and, and, and started realizing what it was, um, you know, it's like seeing something that only a small select few people are actually interested in. Yeah. Um, because at the time, you know, it was worth a dollar and two dollars. So it wasn't really, you know, it was this geeky computer type currency that, yeah. that didn't really make sense in the real world. And there was no real, you know, theoretically it made a lot of sense, but there was no real environment and community around it. So it didn't really get any traction and it didn't, there was not a lot to read about it. You couldn't really find a lot of information. And you sort of needed a, a technical background to start with. Mm -hmm. You needed a financial background to start with.
just in order to sort of get your head around it. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people you could speak to, and, and the use case wasn't really there. Like I said, in theory, it was great. It was the ability to send gold over the internet. Yeah. But with time, we've seen more and more examples of why we need this. You know, with governments deciding at one point, this is how much your labor is worth, and then literally a few months later, inflation will just reduce that amount. You know, in the old days, as they say, when we had uh, uh, gold-backed money, you could have a farmer who's on a farm and he'd take his money and put it under his mattress and the hundred rand he had, in three months, it's still a hundred rand. You can still buy the same things, it's still a hundred rand. If you now go and take a hundred rand and put it under your mattress, it's not a hundred rand in a week's time because you can't buy buy the same amount of stuff and you've got no control, the government decides Oh, well, we've now got X amount of rand in the in, in circulation. Yeah. They could decide tomorrow to just double it. Yeah. There's no real controls. Central banks like to say that it's controlled and regulated, but we've seen with instances like um, what's happened in Cyprus uh, and, and various places Venezuela, in the world. Venezuela, you know, you've got money in the streets. It's not worth the paper it's printed on, literally. And even closer to home, we've had the same situation in Zimbabwe yes. where, you know, we were they were printing trillions of dollars I mean I can't even I can't even comprehend the numbers do, do, do you, trillion they're printing trillion well, there you go. on I mean, one note exactly so you know what is a trillion dollars it's like walking around with a wheelbarrow to buy some potatoes yes it's, it's crazy but do you think it's kind of a systematic flow that we have grown to no money as a piece of paper do you think that is also a problem because when I talk to people who are like much older you know they went they were into the gold standard age and all that their understanding of money is really different. Like, they don't really respect paper money. Do you think for our generation who were born into a system where we know money as a piece of paper, until things break out, like, you know, the Venezuela situation, then you're like, okay. I think there's a few, I think there's a few factors. You know, again, I, I sort of come back to people look at money as something that's worth something. Yes. That, the, the piece of paper has value. Right. And it used to have value when it said on the piece of paper that it would give the bearer that amount of gold. Yes. But it's sort of slowly changed. If you now go and look at that, it just says, um, it says something along the different banks have different things, but it says something along the lines of, I promise to pay the bearer 10 rand. And the, and the governor no, signs it. It's, it's like it says 10 rand is something. 10 rand is nothing. It's a measure. Yeah. Um, and you've you got to go back to looking at it and saying, it's a reward for your labor. It's a measure of your labor. Right. And we've got all these different products that have come after real cash money, like credit cards and, and, and checks and all these other things. So it's diluted the real value that the item had. Yes. And it now just becomes an, an entry somewhere. You're right. It is an entry. And, and, and this is the thing. You, you can't, even though you can feel the money, that's just the cash in circulation, which is, you know, a tiny proportion of the real money out there yeah. that's on ledgers in banks and, and, and everywhere else that isn't real physical money you can touch. Yes. And it's so much easier to just edit numbers. Yes. So, I mean, this podcast is all about survival skills for the 21st century. Yeah. And that is why Bitcoin is also part of that, because I see cryptocurrency as a way for, to survive. Uh, you have made some good money for yourself. And I would like to know what you think about wealth creation in the 21st century with all the things that you know now. So I think, you know, it's, it's a bit up and down and, you know, you make some, you lose some. But right. um, 
over the over the time, you know, I think for me personally, for, you know, a lot of people say Bitcoin's not a good store of value, and and you know, a lot of people lose money. You know, I think that's the same with everything. There's nothing that you cannot say that about. It's it's perspective. Um, you know, I bought my first Bitcoins at twelve dollars, so you know, for me, it's been a great store of value. Mm. I think the bigger picture here is that. You know, this is what Bitcoin and crypto has done for us, but it's created a completely new industry. It's com created a completely new dynamic and a, and a completely new way for people to think about money. It's opened up. Uh, it's opened up so many different avenues with stuff that wasn't possible before. Uh, the best known example is a, is a thing called crypto kitties, mm. which is digital assets. And what this means is, is this means that you can you can program money. Up until now, only governments could program money. Uh, I, I still want to take you back to the question. Mm. Uh, when I learned about wealth creation in the 21st right. century, how can one um, leverage all this technology that exists today to build themselves up and you know, take themselves out of debt or become wealthy? How do you build wealth today? So you can't, you know, I can't give financial advice, but what I would say is, is that you know, if you take something like Bitcoin, there's a limited amount. Mm. And we've seen over the last 10 years, more and more people get interested. Right. Now, logic would dictate that if you've got a limited amount of something and you've got more and more people wanting it, that over time its value would go up. Yes. So I think the simplest, easiest way would be looking at acquiring small parts. You know, don't go and make any debt to go and buy Bitcoin. Right. That, that would, that's gambling. But if you were to acquire Bitcoin on a regular basis, over time, you should increase your wealth mm. because the value of those small portions of Bitcoin that you're buying every month, every week, every year, over time that adds up. And in the future, it should be worth a lot more than it is now. Right. right. So looking, I mean, now understanding what you can do with Bitcoin to build wealth. Uh, we were discussing something, I think it was two days ago, where you said, I think the best way to, to get rich or to create wealth is probably, you know, master one thing and really be good at it and then the rest follow that I would say was has been my sort of mantra and how I've sort of what I've lived by yeah. um, in the sense that you know you can you can do a 10 million things and not be good at any of them mm -hmm. but if you become a real expert at one thing it doesn't matter what that thing is the money will follow you okay. it is almost a guaranteed the money will follow you it could be the simplest thing ever the money will follow you because the most important thing today is information. Mm. You know, commodities, products, all those things are, have value. But information, this is why we've got Google, this is why we've got Facebook. These mm. companies, their main business is information. They give out free products. Exactly. And right. if you become an expert at something, people will want the information from you. Mm. People don't, no, not everybody wants to be an expert at everything, but they want to be able to draw resource from people who are. So right. if you're an expert at anything, then the people will follow you and the information follows you mm. and this is how you can generate more and more wealth for yourself by just targeting one component and, and really becoming good at it mm. and ideally it needs to be something you enjoy so would you say follow the money or follow the passion if you have to if follow you have the to, passion okay follow the passion um, in my specific case you know I'm what very, is your passion I'm very passionate at figuring out puzzles okay I like to figure out I like, how to, work. I like to figure out how things work. Right. And this is what Bitcoin did. You know, I came across Bitcoin. I didn't have an interest really in, in finance or changing the world. All these guys say they want to change the world. They want to do this. Stuff. I didn't have any of that. 
Yeah. For me, it was, here's something that I don't understand, and I don't like not understanding it. Mm -hmm. And I became an expert at it. And everything else just fell into place. Uh, how much money do I need to get started with Bitcoin? Nothing. You don't need a penny. Okay. You can get started with Bitcoin by simply selling your service. Right. Or a product. You don't have to go and buy it. You can actually sell a service or a product. You can go and do podcasts. Yes. And you can get sponsors that will pay you in Bitcoin. You know, the world is your oyster, literally. You can be in South Africa and have a company in America, have a company in Europe, yeah. sponsor you, give you a donation. You know, cryptocurrency has, has given us the ability to make money borderless. Yeah, to me, that's what it did to me the most. Like, I, I, you know, right. I became global immediately after. It. Exactly. So you don't need anything. Yeah. You need a passion and you need a skill. Right. And it can be something very simple. If, if, you, if you want to go down the route, you know, you're qualified, you have a job, you have an income, and you have disposable income, more importantly. Yes. Then the simplest way is to go onto an exchange and buy Bitcoin regularly. That's the, that's the, that's the advice we usually give people. Because if I say to you, go and buy it tomorrow, I don't yes. know if the price is high, low, or where it is. But ideally, if you don't know anything and you have no knowledge, you want to educate yourself. But that takes time. So on ice3x.com, you can buy for as little as 100 rand, right? You can, the, the minimum order you can place is something like 10 rand, I think. Right. Um, but you're, you have, there's a minimum deposit, obviously. Okay. So I think the minimum deposit is 250 rand. Um, so that's less than, less than $10. Yeah, but you don't obviously have to buy Bitcoin worth 250 right. rand straight away. You can go and buy 5 rand and 10 rand. And, right. Um, then also there's tools on the exchange that will automate this process for you. Right. So on ice3x.com, you can do that. And next question that I get a lot, if I buy the Bitcoin, if I invest, how much am I going to make daily? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. You will not be making anything. Anybody that tells you, you will be money making money daily, in eight and a half years, I've not seen that happen, and I haven't seen that happen anywhere in the world. I think there's lots of uh, there's lots of schemes and lots of platforms that'll make a lot of promises, but they won't be telling you about the downside. When you buy Bitcoin, that is the investment, that is the asset. You again, there'll be stuff that says to you, deposit my Bitcoin, and it'll make more Bitcoin, and you know, to me, that's gambling. And then. Uh there is also a big influx of traders in Africa. There's, there's a kind of a trading, especially in the forex market. People have been interested in forex for a long time or trading in general, right? And to me, I was interested in forex a little bit, but when I figure out Bitcoin, I realize that it's actually much easier and I'm more in control when I'm trading cryptocurrencies. And your exchange actually is one of the most advanced uh, exchanges for traders. So. Could you just tell us what what it offers in terms of for traders who really want to be like, okay, I understand the Bitcoin thing, it's cool, I can invest, but I want to actively uh, try to make money by being a trader. What, what, what does it offer? So because you've got people wanting the asset, people buying Bitcoin, that means you've got people selling Bitcoin. And this creates a market. Yes. And you get people who become traders by taking time and learning the skill yeah. and uh, you know signing up to, to quality educational uh, resources like crypto university, university yeah. that that's one uh, they actually learn the skills on how to do technical analysis trading analysis uh, you know how to read the market yes. you know how to read signals um, that type of thing and that's an actual skill and doing that you can actually make yourself money lastly how do you see 
the future of Bitcoin right now? Where is this thing going in the next, say, 2025? Bitcoin is the only one that has been rock solid and it's getting more secure by the day because more and more people are putting computing power towards securing the network. Yes. And, you know, it, it just keeps going. So I think from a technical perspective, I'd, I'd be very surprised if something new and wonderful comes out to replace it. There's lots of products and lots of coins and lots of tokens that um, could complement Bitcoin and could complement the industry. Yeah. But I don't think anything will surpass it very soon and very easily. In fact, I think the, the second layer applications on Bitcoin, um, that's where I can see like, real like, growth. Like Lightning Network? Like Lightning. That's where I can see real, real growth, especially with um, AI, with uh, electrical vehicles, for example, hmm. all these type of things. Ah. Um, you know, that's where I can see, you know, look at it. If you take a simple example, the old E-Tag thing in South Africa, yeah. you know, that's a massive investment and, and it's a massive infrastructure. It's, it's lots of management that's needed. You know, my view, if this was 10 years later, you have something like Bitcoin and Lightning, you don't need half of these things. Yes. You know, it's all sort of automatic. The cars are have computers in. They know where they're driving. They've got GPS. You don't need booms and tags. And yeah. It's all automated. And right. It can happen for everything. It can happen for, you know, getting traffic fines paid. So there's, there's lots of good that can come out of that. So another thing is that you've always been uh, innovative in terms of the exchange business. You know, you have the most advanced exchange in the country in, in terms of what kind of orders traders can have. You're also launching the first um, exchange token in South Africa and in Nigeria, you know, where, wherever ICE is being um, worked on. So could you just share more about what this token is about and why do we need it and what are the benefits for people who will be holding it? Well, yeah, I think, you know, again, like I said, I like solving problems and, um, you know, looking at, at, at the industry and looking at the market, um, you've got companies like Binance that created a, an exchange token and it's for their exchange, by their exchange, on their exchange um, and it's called Binance token. I wanted to do something slightly different. Mm. So we've created a token, which is currently an ERC20 token, runs on the Ethereum network yeah. um, called Artificial Intelligence Coin. And again, it's like Bitcoin, there's a limited amount, but it's a utility token and it gives us a lot of flexibility. So initially, it'll only have utility on ICE3X exchange. And the first function, for example, would be to reduce trading fees to zero right. uh, for traders holding this token. But it has the opportunity to work across multiple exchanges as a method of payment. Yes. Um, it has a lot of other features that we could implement and that we could use it for. And being an exchange token, that is local and that is available to everyone, it sort of gives people locally the opportunity to, to take advantage of it and not have to go to international companies and use their right. versions of, of, um, of utility tokens. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, so that, that's what why, we why Why artificial intelligence coin with the name? So again, there, there's lots of utility to various tokens. And we wanted this token to be something that could think for itself. So instead of saying to somebody, you know, go and buy this token and, you know, you'll make a profit on it, we wanted to do it slightly different. And we wanted to say, you know, take the token, make it, make it something that can, that, that can work for itself. So there's nothing that could stop the token in, in, in making money. Okay. In the sense that this token could be used, we could say, okay, well, all our traders now own this token. Ah. The token can now be used to run a liquidity bot. Also, the, the token can actually function in, uh, to, to, bend, to create value for itself. For itself. Right, right. That's fantastic, man. And your, lastly, your prediction. 
by 2022 Bitcoin price. I'm pretty sure Bitcoin will hit 10,000 again this year, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to go on on any prediction longer than that. I'm pretty sure we're looking at. Well, what are you winning this bet? year? No, I'm not a betting man. I don't bet. <laughs> I want to bet you on, on that. I think by the end of the year, Bitcoin less than 10. No, I'm saying I think before the end of the year we will hit 10 again. I'm not saying it'll stay there. Okay. I'm saying I'm pretty confident that we'll hit 10 again. And that was the end of our conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is the Survival Skills Podcast. Make sure you follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are Podcast Survival, at Podcast Survival. On Facebook, we are the Survival Skills Podcast. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn, Gray Jabez. That's G-R-E-Y-J-A-B-E-S-I. This podcast is also on all major podcasting platforms, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcast, and all these other platforms. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, make sure you write us a review. Uh, it will be much appreciated. And you can also share our content with other people. I hope you learned something from this episode that added to your survival toolkit. Again, this is the Survival Skills Podcast. Signing out. See you on the next episode.